Welcome to After Credits here on the Intercut Podcast channel, where we review a new movie, including everything that comes after the credits. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, giving birth to himself, it's Arturo Zurita. Zach, right off the bat, rank your Alex Garland films. Um, I am going to go with Ex Machina at the top. Uh, I know Devs is not a film, but I'm going to put that one right under it. Uh, and, and then I think I'd actually go Annihilation before I go with this one right here. What about Interesting. you? Interesting. I'd go Devs number one. Uh, Ex Machina and Annihilation are, are tied for me, but I think I might put Annihilation just a little bit above Ex Machina and then probably Men right at the bottom. You don't, you're not like... Uh, you don't love the Oscar Isaac dancing sequence? That's oh, I love the Oscar Isaac dancing. you over. Yeah, if we're doing scene by scenes, then yeah, Oscar's taking it home. But in terms of the movies, uh, I felt that at least out of all of them, regardless of how you rank them, uh, he is one of the very few directors and writers out there who is giving us something different every single time. Uh, yeah. Or at least a unique vision, especially with what he brings with his new movie, Men. Yes, he's a consistently compelling filmmaker. And uh, that is definitely still the case here. Uh, We talked a little bit about this movie during our weekend must-watch live stream that just aired. So if you want to hear some spoiler-free thoughts, you can watch that stream. We have our reviewed thoughts over there. We want to talk a little bit more in detail about this extremely interesting movie uh, from writer-director Alex Garland, his return to theaters, a new dark vision in the atmospheric, unsettling men, starring Jesse Buckley as Harper, a woman on a trip to the English countryside following the death of her ex-husband. Men also stars Rory Kinnear, Papa Asaidu, Rory Kinnear, R- Gail Rankin, and Rory Kinnear. Art, Garland has tackled zombies, artificial intelligence, and genetic mutation, but this time, did he also make you scared of men? Now he made me scared of men back in all those other movies, too. I think that's been a through line that he's had for a majority of his movies. Um, uh, here, I think he said that now that he's in his 50s, he just did not care, but to put it all the way up in the front. Uh, but it is a movie that he had written, or at least the idea of it, before he had even done Sunshine. And it was very interesting to see a lot of people talking about Sunshine this past week because he now has a new movie coming out. That was one that he had written. Uh, it's still one of my favorite space films probably out there. I don't know when was the last time you caught Sunshine, but if you have not cut Sunshine and you're here listening to us talk about this movie, hopefully I put that one on your radar to go catch because uh, it's one of his best. But it's interesting to see that he's had this idea kind of marinating in the background for a long time. And I'm glad that... He not only got to make it, but that he got to make it with the specific people that he had, because uh, I think that that's one of the standouts of this movie. Yeah, I mean, I thought this was a simpler movie than I guess I expected it to be, given how deep and sophisticated a lot of the ideas that Garland normally brings to the table are. And I'm not saying that to reduce men down just to sort of compare it that like the, there's so much going on in, uh, in a movie like Annihilation that it's almost hard to completely wrap your heads around and like this it's it's a much it's much uh, smaller in, in terms of its scope mm-hmm. uh, it's small also in some ways that just made me kind of made me think like is this a, like how much of this is also just his COVID movie right like it's shot primarily in one location there's only a handful of actors one of which is primarily seen through a video chat like the, a lot of this movie is very sparse and I think he's a gifted enough filmmaker to handle that well I don't I don't want to 
say this as criticism, but I, I noticed how much more room there was in this movie compared to some of the other ones that he's made. I know one of his big things coming out was he's like, if you see Ex Machina as an intellectual movie, this is the complete opposite. He's like, for men, this is just all emotions. Like, what is the first reaction that you get when you see something? Uh, I know that a bit. Atmosphere, it's feeling. Yeah. He said it's it's supposed to be like a Rorschach test. Now, I feel the Rorschach test was already done with the trailer, uh, and it had a very interesting rollout where I don't know how many times you saw this in the theater, but I, I had it happen to me once, and I've heard it happen to a lot of other people who posted about it online, that they just laugh when the title came out, right? Uh, yeah, I was at a screening, and one, 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 uh, one woman, when the title card of men showed up, she just went, yes! <laughs> even the marketing from A24, you know, it's one where it's definitely front and center what the movie is about, um, but I still think that he's able to do some interesting things with the symbolism in the background again i think the performances are able to carry that gut emotion that he's really trying to push uh but there's a reason why i wouldn't have it in my top and i know for a lot of people they came out of this with the cinema score being a d plus uh yeah yeah. so how much of that is just the usual a24 horror bait and switch in that they they put out (laughs) these trailers that are really creepy and and really unsettling and then their movies are just a little bit more like patient in terms of what uh the pacing and and they don't give you kind of like a slashery horror thrill it's weird because i don't i never saw this as a horror movie uh, as much but i guess with the way that it was pushed out with it being a 24 right uh they've had they've done that in the past with the witch they've done that with it comes at night i think those are two major movies where people were expecting something different and then did not get that i don't know what else you would have expected off of seeing the trailer. Two good movies, by the way. <laughs> great movies, for sure. But in terms of the marketing, I don't feel that this mismarketed it as much as people may have expected something else. I mean, I, I feel like it gave you everything with the title of Men and what you see in the trailer. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty much what you end up getting in the movie with a crazy third act. Yeah, and it's maybe it is just that third act is so unsettling and weird in the way that, like, you know, Mother was unsettling and weird for That's a lot the best of movie I would have, sort of, yeah left left the theater in disgust and didn't even want to engage with whatever is going on in the movie. Um, but we'll get into that finale a little bit later. Let's talk a little bit about Jesse Buckley because so much of this movie is spent with Jesse Buckley as she sort of navigates this creepy town and walks around. A lot of unsettling score moments. Uh, and I think it's really her poor performance that carries you mm-hmm. through at least the first half. What did you think? Because I feel like she's becoming one of our, our most interesting actresses lately. Oh, if you don't have her, you don't have this movie. You don't have people writing along for that whole beginning act. She is just really great at the nuances. Uh, you know, recently she was just nominated, if I'm not mistaken, it was for The Lost Daughter. And the different things that she's able to do there, playing a flashback character to uh, Olivia's character, I thought was... Uh, really well done and here she does she has these little moments where it's how she interacts with certain characters well she'll say something like i don't play the piano and then later on you do see her playing the piano uh and just kind of the the way that she maneuvers around this area um because she practically has this whole place to herself it's her after this major incident that has happened with her husband where she's trying to find kind of like a refuge uh And in my opinion, I think what works really well in the movie is that you can see it as this woman who's going out there and then interacts with this crazy town full of people who all kind of look the same. Or you're dealing with her own story of grief after a traumatic event and kind of how she's perceiving it uh, 
as she's trying to get away with it, but it f- kind of follows her to this place out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I thought she killed it in this movie. One of the reasons why I want to see it again, um, as well as Rory's performance. But I don't know if there was anything that stood out to you with her performance or a, a specific scene, uh, because it's not just told within the present. It's also told within flashbacks. Yeah, I, I think there's just like a uh, a way that she's embodying this this performance in and you can read her emotion really clearly from moment to moment. Uh, she does a couple like quick jumps because she's startled in, in moments that feel very lifelike and authentic. And I, I don't know, I think because it's this tricky thing where it's a balance of her grieving and dealing with this lingering frustration and anger as well that it really takes a strong performer like Jesse Buckley to to get to get all the nuance of that to get that it's more than just sadness and more than just anger there's a yep. there's a lot going on on the surface and uh it's this movie is so silent for so much of it that if you're not fully attached to how she's performing it i think i think it's going to lose you and i wouldn't be surprised if it does lose some people but if you're Paying attention to her and appreciating how good she is, I, I don't think it will lose you. Yeah, she'll be a future Oscar winner. That's, that's a fact. <laughs> I, my favorite performance from her is still, I think, you, um, I'm thinking of ending things. but Easily, right underneath that, I would put Beast. If y'all haven't seen Beast with her, definitely go check out that movie. She is fantastic in that movie. You alluded to it, but Rory Kinnear has an interesting role in this film in that he plays every man in the movie aside from Harper's Mm ex-husband. What did you make of that choice, how it was executed, and Kinnear's performance? Uh, Okay, so from a technical level, uh, there there are certain characters where they're definitely CGIing over it. And there's a a version of this movie that can come off as a comedy. When I saw it the first time around, a lot of people laughed at certain figures that came out. And that's where I was just like, damn, is it younger? Oh, the young, the younger one's not even close, bro. That that is just a joke. That looks like a bit that's happening on screen. It 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 almost takes you out of this idea that it's a uh, very metaphorical. You know, you have to get into all the allegories that are happening in this profound film into what kind of feels like a sketch. It feels so goofy seeing him in there that it makes you like wonder. You kind of needed a little bit more of a budget or just a couple more years to have gotten this technology down right. Yeah. Um, but in terms of his performance, I thought he did a great job embodying all the different characters, specifically because I'm not sure if, in your opinion, you see that as being what she's actually experiencing or if that's just more so her perception. So it's not that she's right. seeing these people all look the same. It's just that in the medium of a movie, that is the director's way of showing you that she is seeing a connection between each man and how that ends up playing into the final reveal that we get at the end. Uh, So I never saw it so much as like everybody actually looks the same. That's just how she sees. There's going to be one factor. They could have made it close. So say everybody was like wearing a patch, but then that maybe makes your mind go elsewhere. Oh, are they part of some allegiance? So instead he made it be that physical attribute of everyone having a similar face, which sometimes looked too goofy. But I think uh, that was kind of our way to be in her shoes and seeing a similarity with everyone. No, I, I actually like it as a technique, and I think it does a really interesting thing in that it, uh, you know, it's meant to be representative, right? Like he, what is happening is her mind or her experience is reducing Mm -hmm. all these men down to this representative figure played by Rory Kinnear. And yeah, there are different uh, 
sides to it, but he's the through line. And it, it's kind of it, like ends up being this visual representation of like hashtag yes, all men or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's it. it, it yeah, those are marketing. It too, makes yeah. it so it makes it so that it really is about like uh, about a lived experience and how and it about the fears of. Um, the other gender or whatever you have you like it's I think it's an interesting technique to make it so that like yes you could have a bunch of different actors playing a bunch of t- different creepy men but I think what is intelligent about it is like they're not trying to make it about all these creepy individuals she meets but what's the commonality right mm-hmm. like what is the shared aspects to it and and why is it that you know it, people or you know, people who aren't men have these fears of men. So I do think it's a really interesting technique. And, you know, yes, that that one uh, iteration of Rory Kinnear that you mentioned is a little bit jarring. I, I think the only thing uh, for me about that is I think if it maybe came later in the movie when you've already experienced, you know, all the characters at the bar, for example, that you, you might not um, find it to be so unsuccessful in terms of the CGI because you, by that point you understand what they're doing. Right. Like it's not about, Oh, he convincingly looks like a 14 year old. Now it's about that. All they're all men, right? Even, even though he's a boy, he's, he's one of the men. Um, For me, the thing that it made me think about is obviously the Charlie Kaufman film Anomalisa. Uh, mm. Which does a similar thing in a kind of different way. Instead of making everybody look the same, everybody except for the Jennifer Jason Lee character is act- voice acted by the same actor. Good so point. they're both trying to do a similar thing in that everybody except for this someone is part of the collective yeah. other. And, and like she's unwilling to engage with them because she has this other block. And I, I think it's a really interesting tactic. I, yeah. I think it's very cinematic. No, yeah, I thought it was done pretty well. Uh, there's also been some pushback to the Papa Asedu's character. Um, and the and allegations that the handling of it is kind of racist because um, his character is depicted as, as having uh, or committing domestic assault um, and the implications from that uh, type of depiction in a film where he's the only non-white character. Did you have any thoughts on the storyline or the reaction to that generally? Uh, I mean, I can't react for other people and how they, they see a movie, obviously. I, I, I think I understand it more in this context than a lot of other movies uh, where it's kind of been a very similar thing, mainly because it's such an allegorical movie. So, right. like, people forget that when, you, when you're asking people to, like, look deep into it, right, and see the intricacies of men and what that may mean and the cycles of, of abuse that gets passed down, um, you can't just be a director who forgets, okay, so I'm supposed to think so far, but then stop at a casting decision and what the, what the implications of that would be. So I understand that completely. You know, if you're asking someone to think about a movie, they're going to think about a movie. I also do think, though, that he's a fantastic actor. I think he's someone who, right. from his roles in I May Destroy You, um, recently he even did a short. Uh, we had mentioned it for South By. It's called Femme. I think that's a fantastic short. Definitely subverts a lot of uh, what what a story like that would um, cover. Uh, and then he even has done a lot of stuff for the BBC in terms of Hamlet. So I see his casting as more so, you know, who is the best possible performer 
for this? Are there going to be different connotations that come with that? And obviously, you know, when, when, you're, when you're talking about a movie that's uh, getting into a lot of metaphors and the history of abuse, uh, that you're obviously as an audience member going to add something to that? For sure. I think it's also juxtaposing how different Papa as an actor looks to Rory Kinnear, especially for that right. third act. Um, but yeah, I think out of all the movies where that's been an issue with it, I, I usually am not a person who's going to say, hey, that person shouldn't be cast in a role. I think that even mm-hmm. if it comes with other implications, that is a performer who's there to perform something. Um, but with it being so allegorical, obviously you can you cannot expect people in a Rorschach movie to take something else out of it, you know? So you right. almost shoot yourself in the foot there too. Uh, but that's personally, I thought he was the I, best I, one. That's the thing is like, I think there's a lot of unintentional implications happening and a lot of unintentional negative uh, connotation. And I have been one in the past to kind of overlook a lot of the like unintentional things that, mm-hmm. that happen. But like, you know, you, I think the more you learn and you listen to people's re- genuine reactions to uh, even the unintentional offense that happens, you, you see the real consequences of it. So like, I'm trying to not like discount, uh, discount a reaction to a part of the story that was not my reaction. Like, I mm-hmm. understand it. I intellectually get it now that I've taken the time to listen to it. It's just that, like, I think it also is part of the obstacle when you try to make a movie as sparse as this one, as as limited in its cast as this one, in, in that, like, if you only have, like, five or six faces you see throughout the movie, then the weight on each of those faces becomes that much greater. And like Mm -hmm. what you're saying about each of those people becomes that much more outsized, even if maybe your message is, is more narrow. Uh, Like you're saying, like the, the Rorschach implications with it, like you can deny that what you will. And, and uh, yeah, I think, you know, you have to account for things like that too. So even, even though it's not necessarily my reaction to the movie, like it's one that I totally get um, after, after like, hearing about hearing more about it and it's interesting because with the release of this movie it literally followed up what a week after the kendrick album and i would say the themes that this movie covers you know maybe if it's not up your alley the way that it's told it's not like we haven't been getting these not just in alex garland's previous movies uh but in in a bunch of movies and projects and and miniseries tv all of that uh with the kendrick album with the mr morale album that's a big idea of breaking the cycle that gets passed down from men to men. And I think that's one of the big things that you see in the character of Rory. Uh, you have the main landlord, if you want to call him that, the guy who's a kind of the Airbnb host who thinks he's doing like jokes with her and it never really connects. And he becomes this very awkward character who by the end of it, you see is trying to make up for something. There's uh, a specific line that he gives about how his father felt about him. Um, and in that idea, you're dealing with what happens when you have a town where it's only just men what gets passed down what love is shown and what are they just replicating yet again uh and the reason i bring up the miss morale album is because that's the whole theme of that album (laughs) men seeking therapy because without that Mm -hmm. you just end up passing down what was all the brokenness that was passed down to you uh as he flips one of the most famous phrases hurt people hurt people um but yeah, I want to get more into that when we get into the to the spoilers, specifically in that third act. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we're doing all spoilers, but we can we can save that for the end if you want to just talk a little bit more about like how I think the thing that's sort of interesting about men is I think we're kind of have two halves of a whole here in that the mm-hmm. first half is so much um, 
it's so much more eerie and silent. It's this exploration of of grief through memory, and, and it's really held together by that Jesse Buckley performance. And then you have kind of the latter half of this film, which is this kind of extended, unsettling scene of domestic terror with some Cronenbergian body horror thrown into the mix. Did you like that balance between the first half and the second half, or did you prefer one half or the other? It's definitely not boring, and I think that was his whole goal to come in here, and he didn't want to do something yeah. that you you know you've seen uh, a multitude of times, and it may be because we haven't seen it so many times that it's jarring, shocking, I guess. Yeah. Uh, how effective it could be, I'm not exactly sure. I'm I'm very curious to see how in rewatches, especially as time goes on for me, uh, in revisiting the film, what else I'd be able to catch because you have the basis of what we talked about, you know, men and stuff being passed down. But there is also a lot of symbolism within the movie. She spends a lot of time in a church, and in particular when she's out there in the well, she ends up encountering this imagery of uh, the green man. And in covering that, mm. you start seeing, okay, what el- what other cycles is he playing with here? Uh, seeing what he's done with Ex Machina and what he's done specifically with Annihilation um, is he's taking that idea of what the symbol represents in terms of rebirth and kind of flipping it to what we know as Mother Nature, but instead, it's this dude. You kind of had the picture earlier on of uh, while she's there at that Airbnb, she is also being haunted by this guy to a degree. You know, it's like he's out to get her, but she doesn't necessarily know why. The but, naked man. But he's butt naked. So obviously you're going to be like, yeah. no, nah, this dude should not be here. And he doesn't really speak in the movie, but kind of represents that green man as he starts putting a bunch of leaves on himself. And by yeah. the end is literally covered. Again, that's uh, a little like the Green Knight. No, no, no. The the Green Man is also seen in the Green Knight. That's what I'm saying. It's they all cover this this uh, this story of symbolism of what happens when it it's uh, a male type of rebirth that you're going through, Mm -hmm. which is literally what the third act ends up being of this individual kind of birthing itself over and over and over and over and over again to me kind of signifying this idea that no matter what it's going to continue to get passed down and you kind of pass that and connect it to the trauma that she felt because in breaking down her story with her husband her husband is going to get divorced and he then decides to throw everything at her that he would harm himself before she leaves him and a big part of the movie which i'm very curious how you took it was that when he goes upstairs as they're having their argument and he falls off and they make eye contact, as you see in the trailer. A lot of mm-hmm. people have been split on, did he accidentally fall? Or did he jump? I thought it was pretty clear in the movie, but your opinion. Um, I mean, it's so, I think ultimately it's not like a huge difference, right? Um, right? I think the way it's, yeah. If you're on the I ledge of the a balcony, way- I think you've already made up your right. mind that you don't really you ready to go. Exactly, right? Like, I do I do think there's maybe something being implied by her closing the door leading to that moment that uh, it was accidental. But, I, but again, like, I think, like you're saying, just being in that situation, threatening in that way, it sort of, it, it doesn't ultimately make a difference in terms of, like, uh, the, the, the harm being caused, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, cause then you get a lot of that symbolism when he falls and the way that he hurts himself, the way that he ends up dying, he gets pierced straight yeah. on the wrist. Right. And it's right. that cut on his wrist that you end up seeing later on in the movie when she's getting attacked by this man cuts him yeah. the same way, except also, that man goes all the way. <laughs> yeah. It's also the, uh, 
ankle that breaks when he f- hits the pavement as well. And, and you uh, end up that, seeing that. that, that Birthing yeah. monster has the broken ankle too, which part of the grotesquerie of that fight, that final sequence. It, it's really one of the most like visually upsetting things. I feel like I've, I've seen in a movie for uh-huh. a while, all the people complaining and that Dr. So Strange should have been. Yeah. All, all the people complaining that Dr. Strange two should have been art. Just sit down and watch that sequence. And Go see, man. It's, uh, uh, but yeah, all the slime, birthing, peeling skin, blood, and breaking bones. Was that a highlight of the movie for you? What did you make of it? Uh, I don't. Well, how would you call a highlight for something that you see and is now etched in your brain? You know, I think that's what he was going for. He said he didn't want to bore people, and that's exactly what he did here. Yeah. It was very interesting to hear him talk about the inspiration for that scene and saying that it came from Attack on Titan. And he, like many directors, it's always interesting to say, to see them say that they binge watch anime to get inspiration yep. because they're not inspired by live action. And thus they need to go to animated sequences to get something. And he said it's when he saw an episode of uh, Attack on Titan that his daughter showed him that he realized exactly what he wanted to do for that final scene. And I do think it's a standout of the movie. It It l- is grotesque, but the... Uh, the body horror in it, and in particular the practical like makeup effects on it. If the little kid looked off, it's because they spent all the money in that sequence right there. And I think at least there it justifies it. Um, it does get to a point though where you're seeing it and you're like, "Yo, this is disgusting. Yo, this is great." Okay, we still do. All right, we're still doing this. Is he still gonna do this? Can I go yeah, take a bit? Like, it overstays it its like welcome. Spends, it spends so much time on screen that it like starts as disgusting becomes kind of normal and then goes back all the way around and is gross again mm-hmm. like it, it you live with it for that long that like you become adjusted to it's it it's a crazy and scene and regrossed out by it anew it, it's crazy and kind of to me like worth the price of entry if this is what you're you're going for right like you're going to be unsettled right mm-hmm. you're going you want this type of movie to give you something that might chill you to your bones and, as you said, stick in your memory, be burned in your brain. This sequence is that moment. So I, I think, and I think it it feels justified within the movie, right? Like it it does feel like things all lead to this moment, which is a, as you're sort of talking about earlier, the the continued cycle of toxic abusive harmful men mm-hmm. the the traits uh, get passed the the yeah the the bad men raising bad men who raise more bad men uh, just as a way of visually representing that also by by also like combining it with the sort of vaginal birth thing is so bizarre and interesting it, I, it's burned in my brain for sure easily uh, that's why I would say again, bringing it back to the to the Mr. Morale album, Father Time. I thought was a perfect song to listen to as soon as you leave this place, because right before that whole sequence happens, you hear the character, uh, the main character that Rory plays, kind of talk about how his father belittled him when he was a kid. He has that one line about how uh, my father always told me at seven I couldn't be a military man, and he's carried that with him for so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when that whole sequence ends, and it continues to just rebirth the exact same type of you know, ripped hand, broken ankle figure over and over and over again until it becomes the character of her ex-husband once again. He then hits her with the line. He's like, what do you want from me? And he pretty much says, I only want to love you. I think there's various ways to read that and I'm very curious to revisit it and to just hear other people's opinions on it. But taking that line right there uh, as well as the final, 
I guess there technically is an after credits because it, you cut, I think, to the title after that sequence. Yeah. And then later on, you see that everything that transpired did happen I because the car is still broken and her friend comes to visit who I had to, <laughs> I had to go home and realize that that's actually uh, She-Ra <laughs> or Sheila, the She-Wolf, bro, from Glow. From Glow, yes. Yes. Great performance all off the camera. She was like the Riddler in this movie. You only saw her from there. Um, and even with her leading up to her uh, as the friend who gets there later on, there are several moments on the phone where there's glitching. And that's why I'm very curious to not just catch this in theaters, but to catch this at home, to mm-hmm. pause on a lot of the different frames that pop out. Because as she's on the phone, like there's there's some there's some like uh, Fight Club almost images that appear right up on screen and, and you know you'd have to pause it to really see what that is but when she appears at the end she's pregnant right so after seeing a man b- rebirth himself over and over to see it juxtaposed you know with somebody else yeah. who was willing to go out of the way to go make sure that their friend was okay and travel all that um i don't know you could read it as uh you cannot just fight violence with more violence you're just going to add more hurt to that it's not going to break that cycle um but it's also very you know there's a lot of very obvious religious metaphors, biblical metaphors from not just you yeah. know the apple and the tree, but it gets into very Adam and Eve territory Original in sin. where exactly uh, in where Adam blamed Eve. You know that's how the story goes. He blamed her for his transgression, uh, and that's kind of what you have in the relationship that that these two had at the beginning. Um, again, it's very fascinating, and at that gut level, you do get a reaction from it. Uh, I'm not sure what more to take of it, especially when you compare the symbolism of the place that she's staying at. But I don't know if you got anything else out of that, specifically their final talk. I mean, I I, I agree sort of with the, the point you're making that it, I, I mean, it is interesting in that it ultimately the way that uh, it finally ends up after all this morphing with uh, her ex-husband and that he talks about wanting to love her. But, like, it, that being yet another of the many, like, manipulation, manipulations and aggressions that uh, I think women often experience in these types of relationships, it's, I think, I think it does a good job of representing how sometimes even good intentions can have, uh, can be harmful. And, you know, in, in, it ultimately, it's it's a big wind up to a place where they try to deconstruct the idea of like the abuser who still is is loving, right? And I, I think it's a, I think it's interesting, but I'm, I don't know, I am a little bit hung up on the the what what ultimately feels like kind kind of like a. A, a generally simple me- metaphor at, at its center being mm-hmm. that like, you know, this is just the, the metaphor is men. This is men. This is the ways that men, uh, uh, uh the, the ways that men to- can torture and abuse and harm, harm women. And I, I don't know. I, I'm, I don't know. I, I found, I found myself to be a little bit mixed on how it landed. I can feel that, yeah. No, I agree, and I think that's where a lot of people come back with the, especially the casting choice in uh, how she's supposed to react to that. We've been talking about how, like, even with the kid, you know, that boy was working at a parish, but when you see the advice that she gets from the, the what's it called, the religious guy there, too, Vicar. it's like the worst advice you could possibly give, so then when you see how the kid's right. reacting, it's like, well, yeah, that kid is only learning what is being taught to him, 
at the church, you know? Um, and what gets passed down there is one thing, but what ends up happening with her is that we were saying, I think that's why the effect of everybody being played by the same guy is very interesting because she too is carrying what she had in one relationship and seeing it with every other dude that she, every other man that she interacts yes. with. It's being carried with her. So exactly. um, again, it's like, she can't even see beyond the the same face that she sees on every single man. Exactly. She can't even see beyond that on the 14-year-old or even younger boy that she meets, you know? You know, it, it's like, it's very apparent. It's very uh, right in your face. But at the same time, like, yeah. they could have gone even further and have them all the look is- like her husband. Because literally right. that was the one step away that they were doing and they just railed it back just a little bit so that everybody in this town looked like the person who was hosting her. But it really is that. She just cannot escape the previous traumatic relationship with another man that she had and it continues to haunt her in that way and that's the horror story in and of itself so um yeah yeah i mean i i feel like although i i understand and like that and I, i like some of the symbolism uh that they did to achieve it it is a little bit of like a a little is a little rote to me i and there's aspects to the story that I like, but also aspects to the story that I felt were, were maybe a little bit like empty. I don't know. Um, I, I think it took, takes a little while to ultimately get to that point. And I just think compared to most of the Alex Garland stuff that I've seen, I find myself with more to toss over after watching devs or after watching ex machina then i ultimately did from from men i kind of felt like i i got most of what i i wanted out of that it's in the title dude it's not like they tried anything crazy with the title either so i think that's why i would say it's a a, it's a very interesting take on this idea and i love the performances and you know all the different things that they were able to add to it but it is very straightforward this is the answer this is the ultimate conclusion that you should have what experiences can you put on there seeing the flashback seeing how she interacts with other people seeing how she interacts with the police at the bar and how they don't really take her seriously what are those elements there that you can attribute an add to it but nonetheless, you're still going to have that final conclusion. Whereas, yes, something like an annihilation, you could have various degrees on what that represents to people, what it could possibly be, be it a disease, a relationship, anything else. Um, but I don't know. I, I always love to give the man the benefit of the doubt because I really like him as a as a screenwriter. And I'm curious to see yeah. if there's any other little things to catch in there, specifically while she's out in the forest. But uh, And like I said, specific lines like a- as well that she has. Yeah, it is like a formalistically gorgeous movie. You you were shouting out the director Rob Hardy, earlier, bro. Like, it it looks beautiful, and there's just like a precision, I think, to a lot of the compositions that Garland puts in his movies. That when you then juxtapose it with these grotesque images, whether it is that extended birthing sequence near the end, or like even the decomposing fox that we focus on uh, earlier in the film, it, that just it stands out and is that much harder to look at i think because the rest of the film is so like immaculate and beautiful and Mm -hmm. almost like almost painterly in its quality like that one shot uh that i think is in some of the trailers where the policeman disappears in the flash of light just the assembly of it reminds me of a painting yeah no i mean robert hardy is a goat i mean the man can do a mission impossible movie make it look gorgeous and then come in and do devs uh with alex garland so any anything that they do together you know is it's going to hit on all cylinders 
Uh, any last thoughts on men? Is this going to show up on your best of the year so far do you think or just solid entry you think yeah i think it's a it's a you know the lowest of the ones that he's released and i'm hoping that if you've given this movie a shot give the other alex carlin movies a shot if you have not seen them go check them out hopefully uh you know those are able to put more of the stuff that he's written on your radar as well. I will definitely be thinking about this movie till the end of the year. I don't know where it would place in the list. I cannot give you a number, but I will right. definitely be thinking of a lot of sequences in this movie, from the birthing sequence to even just the whole harmonic little thing that she does in the tunnel. The ha ha. Uh, yeah. You kind of see it in the trailer too. You know, it's just very, uh, very engaging sequences that I think that if you watch it in a theater, you can come out pissed off. You can come out disturbed. You can come out disgusted, but you will not come out bored. Absolutely. Well, I think that's about all for our breakdown of men. Thanks for joining us. If you're on the live stream, you can catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd at ZShevich. That's Z-S-H-E-V as in vaginal I-C-H. And check out my YouTube or TikToks at Multiplex Show. Art, where can people catch more from you? You can find me over at LME Explain on Twitter, on YouTube, on Letterboxd, or every week here on the Intricate Podcast. You can to, you can listen to every episode of the Intricate Podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcatcher is. I like Overcast. And then make sure you're subscribed not just to the audio feed, but to the video feed as well on our YouTube do, on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash IntercutPod. We can watch our bright, smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of the Intercut Weekly Must Watch streaming on our YouTube channel every Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern. And... Please leave us a comment, like the video, and consider heading over to iTunes to give us that much-requested five-star review. Like our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages to get updates throughout the week from Art, from me, from all the guests that we feature here on Intercut. Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, beware men.